Good morning and welcome to Easter Sunday. It's great to have you here with us today and thanks for spending part of your day with us this morning. My name is John Nicholas. I'm lead pastor here at CCC and we're very honored for you to be here with us today. I want to ask you a question as we get started this morning. What movie or story do you wish you could insert yourself into? What movie or story do you wish you could insert yourself into? As a kid, I always wanted to insert myself into a story, and movies weren't a part of my entertainment as a young boy, and so for me it was reading. I was an avid reader, and I would find anything I could and pick it up and read it, and I was always looking for who the hero of the story was. One of my favorite series that I read when I was a little kid was this series called The Hardy Boys, and I read through all these books multiple times looking for Frank and Joe Hardy, and how were they going to save the day, and I wanted to be just like them. But if it wasn't a mystery, then maybe it was a sports, uh, a sports story about someone when the clock is ticking down and they get this chance to make the final shot or they get this chance to hit the game-winning run, a game-winning hit to drive in a run to win the game. I was always looking for something like that. Uh, why was I looking? Why was it matter? Why was it important? I think as I reflect back now, some of it was maybe to escape some painful things that happened in my childhood that were a bit traumatic. I didn't always feel like I fit in at school, and so I wanted to find a place where I was significant, where I mattered. And I think movies do that for us in our culture today. There's something about a good movie that draws us in, that we just want to sit down and engage and experience fully. Maybe it's a true story, like one I've watched recently called The Green Book or The Story Unplanned. Or maybe it's a fictional story. Maybe for you it's the Star Wars um, trilogy, or maybe it's a Harry Potter series, or maybe it's the upcomer Avengers movie. But there's something about when you sit down and watch one of these movies, we find ourselves drawn into them and just completely a part of it. Why is that? Why is that? Well, I think if we're honest, one of the reasons it is is because we want, our, we want a sense that our lives matter for something more than just the mundane things of life. That there's more to this life than just getting up in the morning and going to our jobs or going to school, coming home, eating dinner, doing some homework, watching a Netflix episode, going to bed, and then hitting repeat and doing the whole thing all over again. We want a life with adventure. We want a life with challenge. We want a life with opportunity. We want a life where we feel like we're important and we matter to someone. And sometimes when we enter these stories, it gives us hope about our own story, hope that there's something more hope that maybe life will turn out differently for me. And so when you're in a difficult situation with a friend and you're struggling to get along and, and you don't know if that friendship is going to last, there's something meaningful about a story where you have a friend and they, they stick with it, they stick with one another through thick and thin. And when you're facing a rough past in your marriage, you see a couple that works through the hard things and they survive and they spend the rest of their days together. Or maybe when you're struggling in your job, maybe you've started a new company and you watch a story of a guy that's, or a man or a woman that started a company and, and they weren't sure if they were going to make it and they got off the ground and then they made a difference in the industry that they were in. You see, we love a story like that that just lifts us out of the normal, the mundane, the routine and gives us a chance to put our hope in something bigger than maybe where we find ourselves at that moment in time. And this morning, I'm going to retell to you a story, as you heard Ronnie mention, a story that if you would read this story, you might find it hard to believe. A story that's never been told, that's never been replicated. Many stories, you see them come back after a decade or two and they get rewritten in a different way. But this story, it's never been replicated. It's never happened since and will never happen again. And it's the Easter story. 
But as we walk through the Easter story this morning, my hope is that you find yourself drawn into the story. And you find yourself stepping into the role of one of the individuals in the story, wondering what would it have been like to be them. And at the end of the story, here an opportunity for you to actually become part of the story. There's something about us that wants to be part of a story. Let's pick up the story. If you have a Bible, if you want to turn to, to Mark chapter 14, there's a Bible in your seat rack in front of you. You can grab that. It's page 828. You can follow along if you have an apple in your phone or the verses will be on the screen. And so in the story of Jesus, his final days, his final hours, he's in a very difficult place. He'd been captured. He'd been betrayed by his, one of his close friends, by one of his followers. He'd been captured and they put him on trial and they were looking for evidence to put him to death. That's what the goal they're trying to kill him. But the problem is, all the, all the testimony was false, and the statements did not agree. So there's no way to find statements. And so Pilate, who was the ruling governor of the region of that time, he said, what do you want me to do? There's not enough evidence here. What do you want me to do? And the chief priest said, um, as he asked them, the chief priest said, crucify him. Pilate said, what do, you, what do you mean crucify him? There's not enough evidence. He hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't committed a crime. All the things that you said, all the evidence you've given me, it doesn't add up. And even if it did add up, he wouldn't be guilty of a crime punishable by death. They said, we don't care. We don't care. Crucify him. And so that's what they did. Pilate was more concerned about satisfying the crowds. And so he, turned, he sent a guilty man to freedom. And an innocent man, he sent to the cross. And Jesus was turned over, he was beaten, and then he was crucified. And as he hung on that cross, he was left alone and abandoned by just about everyone. One of the writers tells us that his mom was there. Mom's never, rarely ever abandoned. Mom's there through thick and thin. But just about everybody abandoned Jesus. Most of his followers abandoned them. One or two straggled back. The people that were following the crowds, the people that he had healed, they abandoned him. The people that he fed, the 5,000, they disappeared. And Jesus was there alone. And as he hung on that cross, he was not only there alone, but everybody walking by was mocking him. The religious leader said, you said you were going to save the world and you can't even save yourself. Who are you? You're a fraud. And over and over again, this happened. Eventually, after a very short time, only six hours, normally crucifixion was two to three days before someone would die. But after six hours, Jesus breathed his last breath. And even in that final moment, he made an impact. There was a guy standing at the cross. He was a centurion, a Roman soldier, one who had overseen the death of many, likely caused the death of many. That's what centurions did. They were soldiers. They were similar to the modern-day gladiators that we hear about. But as he saw how Jesus died, he said, this guy is the Son of God. And that statement doesn't mean a whole lot to us today, but in the Roman culture, in the Roman history time period, there's only one person ever called the Son of God, and that was Caesar, the Roman emperor. No one could claim to be the Son of God. And yet this guy said, he, Jesus, was the Son of God. And that's where we're going to pick up our story this morning. So in verse 40, some women were watching from a distance. They're named Mary Magdalene, Mary, and Salome. 
And these were women who followed with Jesus, and it says that they took care of him and cared for his needs and his followers. Likely they found food for Jesus and his group of men. They might have found lodging for them. They might have found shelter for them if it was needed. They might have found clothing if it was needed. And there was other women who were there as well. And this is significant that he tells us about these women. You say, why is that significant? Why is that important? It's important because if Jesus' disciples were making up this story to fabricate a lie that Jesus rose from the dead, they would not have put women in the story. You say, why not? Because in that culture, in that day, women did not have a voice. Very similar to a Muslim culture today. Their voices were not heard, their voices were not honored, their voices were not valued. They could not speak in court, that was not considered a reputable testimony. And so Mark includes women as references to validate the story. If it was being made up, it would have been Jesus' disciples, Peter, James, and John. They were there at the cross. They saw everything happen. They testified to everything. They're not the ones. A group of women are. And it goes on to tell us what takes place. It says it was preparation day. It's the day before the Sabbath. The Jewish Sabbath is Friday night at 6 o'clock, sundown, to Saturday night at 6 o'clock. That's the Jewish Sabbath. No work takes place. No work, no making of food, no other activities. You eat leftovers, still practiced today by Orthodox Jews all over the land of Israel and all over the world. And so in that time period before the Sabbath, it's called the day of preparation, you get everything ready so that you could celebrate the Sabbath. And one of the things that happened on the day of preparation is that anyone who was hung on a cross, a criminal that was anyone hung on a cross that had died, their bodies could not remain on the cross during the Sabbath. So if someone was still on the cross, they would break their legs, thereby crushing their lung cavity and asphyxiating them so that they could die, so they could take them down on the cross. But Jesus was already dead. It says he died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And so a guy showed up, a guy named Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the council, the religious council, who's waiting for the kingdom of God, gives us a clue about a little bit of this guy's heart. There was something about God and his kingdom that mattered to this guy. And he went boldly to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. This was a risky thing to do. You say, why was it risky to do that? Well, if Jesus was considered someone that was stirring up the people, that was maybe potentially part of a revolution against the Roman government, and you went and asked for his body, you could easily be identified as a sympathizer with him and put your own life at risk as well. But he went to Pilate, who's the governor of the region, and asked for his body. Pilate was surprised. He's like, he's dead already? He was surprised by that. And so he sent the centurion. He said, you've seen death. You know when someone's dead. Go back and check on him. And so that's what he does. He goes back and checks on him, and he says, he's dead. He's dead. Another confirmation that Jesus had died. That Jesus wasn't just unconscious. That he didn't just, in the heat of the day, in the Middle Eastern desert, after a physical beating and not eating and not drinking anything, he just passed out, and they took him down and put him in a tomb, and the coolness of the tomb awakened him. No, the centurion who had seen death, he said, no, he's dead. He's dead for sure. And so Joseph then took his body down, wrapped it up in some linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of a rock. This was kind of rare because criminals' bodies were usually taken down and thrown into the garbage dump. That's what you usually did with a criminal's body. But Joseph knew he wasn't a criminal. 
And so he took him down and he took him to his own tomb. Joseph was a wealthy man. You say, how do we know that? Because he had a tomb of his own. Most bodies, when they were taken down, they were often um, stored. They would take the body, they would prepare the body, and they would store it in a tube-like carving out of the rock, and they would close the end of it off. That body would decay for a year. They would take it out and then put it in an ossuary box, and that's what they would store the body, the remains. But Joseph actually had a tomb. It was likely a large room with a slab inside that the body would be brought in in the coolness of the tomb and then laid out there and then prepared for burial. And so that's what Joseph did. Mark makes sure we know that the women knew where the body was. And he tells us this. He reminds us of the women again. They saw where the body was laid. They didn't go to another tomb. They didn't go to the wrong place. They saw where the body was laid. And it's as if Mark is writing, anticipating the questions that are going to come. But the story's over. The tomb's been sealed. His followers who have followed him around for several years, believing that he was the Messiah, that he was the hope, that he was the one that was going to rescue the people from the Romans. He's gone and he's done. He's dead. What do they do now? What do they do now? What about all the miracles? Didn't they, make a, didn't they matter? Were they real? What about his teachings? Weren't they true? What about the confrontations and the authority with which he spoke? Wasn't that life-changing? What was going to happen next? All of this took place before 6 o'clock on Passover. So Jesus was gone. And so from 6 o'clock on Friday night till 6 o'clock on Saturday night, no work, no activities, nothing. Jesus is dead and gone. The women, when the Sabbath was over, which would have been 6 o'clock on Saturday night, these three women, Mary, Mary, and Salome, they bought some spices. The shops would open up. They would go out late at night. When the shops would open up, they would get some food for the next day to prepare whatever meals that they would have because they were going to go anoint the body. You say, why did they need to anoint the body? Was it some type of religious ritual? Basically, they needed to anoint the body for one reason and one reason alone, odor. Odor. A decaying body smells. A decaying body in the Middle East, inside of a tomb, smells even worse. You say, were the, were the spices going to get rid of the smell? No, they were just going to cover it up. You know, it's kind of like middle schoolers after gym class putting on deodorant. You know, it doesn't get rid of the smell. It just covers it up so you don't, you, you don't pass out when they get in the car with you after gym, you know, after school's over. That's what it was like. I mean, imagine the dead body inside this thing and the suit sealed up for a year in the Middle East. And then they open it. Imagine the wave of that that comes out. So the spices were just to cover that up so it could somehow just be a little bit tolerable. And so the women went out that night, got the spices together. Next morning, very early, very early, before the sun, when the sun had just come up. Now this is third service, so likely most of you were not up before the sun came up. Some of you are still yawning out there this morning at me, you know. So, um, but I was up early. I saw the sun come up. It could have been between, likely between 4 and 6 o'clock. The ladies are up early. And they head over to the tomb to put these spices on the body. And on the way over to the tomb, they realized they had a problem. And they described their problem in verse 3. They said, who's going to roll the stone away from the tomb? They forgot to plan for this. 
They didn't have a, uh, they didn't have a solution for it. It was not in their skill set. And they hadn't had stone rolling as part of their workout session the last couple of weeks, you know. So they were not prepared. This is a massive stone, as Mark is going to tell us. It's a massive stone. And normally there would be several men that would roll it, or they take the stone and they get a big branch and they get it underneath and pry it up to get it to roll. And they're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to roll the stone away? Well, as they got there, you can imagine their surprise when... The stone, which Mark tells us was very large, it had been rolled away. Imagine their surprise. They knew it was the right place. They had been there the night before, two days before and seen the body being put in there, and now the stone is rolled away. And as they ducked their heads inside, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. That's not what they expected to see. That's not what they expected to see. They expected to see a body wrapped, laying on that slab inside that tomb. And is it no surprise their response? They were freaked out. They were freaked out. This young man, he read their body language. He said, you're freaked out. Don't worry. Don't worry. And then he knows not only reads their body language, he proceeds to read their mind. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. They're like, how did you know that? You know, He knows exactly what they're looking for. He says, he's risen. He's not here. Come take a look. We're the plan. They're like, I don't know if I want to go any further into this story. Imagine what was going on in the hearts and minds of these ladies. I mean, just 36 hours, they had watched Jesus... Their, their Savior, their Messiah, the one they had traveled with, the one they had taken care of, the one they had provided for. They watched him with this horrible crucifixion and suffering and death. They went home after he died, likely overwhelmed with grief. You know what it's like when someone you love passes away? You don't sleep well the next couple. You, you hardly sleep. You hardly sleep. And they thought, well, maybe we need to do something just to take our minds off of all of this. Let's just go back and take care of the body. That'll give us something to do. And if we do something, then our minds won't have to wonder what has happened here. And they get there, find this guy all decked out in white, reads him like a book, reads their mind, and Jesus is gone. And the truth is, nobody expected nobody. Nobody expected nobody. But Jesus told them there was going to be no body. He told them over and over and over again. Mark 8.31, listen to what Jesus says. He says, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law. He must be killed, and after three days, rise again. The very next chapter, chapter 9, same verse, verse 31, The Son of Man is going to be delivered in the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise again. Chapter 10, verse 33, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man delivered the chief priests, teachers of the law, condemned him to death, hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise again. He said it over and over and over and over again. And one would assume that they would have this sense, okay, he's dead, he's gone, but remember what he said. He said this to large groups of people. Not a single person believed it was going to happen. Nobody did. Nobody did. 
But the truth is, Jesus always does exactly what Jesus says he's going to do. And that's what the guy said. He said, go, tell his disciples. And Peter, say, why Peter? Because Peter was best friends with Mark, and Peter told Mark everything that was happening. Peter was an eyewitness. He, Jesus, is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Jesus always did exactly what he said he's going to do. And he not only did it then, he does it now. And whatever Jesus says to you he is going to do, he is going to do. He's going to do. So what did the women do? Did they leave the grave celebrating their Messiah was back? He was alive, game on with the Romans? Did they get all their friends together for a back-from-the-dead party to celebrate that Jesus was alive? That's not what they did. Verse 8, they were trembling, physically shaking. They were bewildered, mentally confused. They took off running. They said nothing, and they were scared to death. They were scared to death. No amazing celebration. No victory tour. No prophecy fulfillment conference. No cheering as Jesus rides off in the sunset. Mark's story just ends. And you're like, now what? Now what? Now what? Story writers know this. They know that we want the story to end. They know it. And that's why when you're finished watching that episode of Netflix and there's that button that says next episode, you have to fight everything inside of you not to hit next episode, right? Because you want to know what's coming next. You want to know how the story's going to end. We can't leave the story unfinished. But that's what he does to us. He leaves the story unfinished. So why? Why? Why does he leave the story unfinished? I think he left the story unfinished because there's more to the story, but the more to the story wasn't about Jesus. You say, what do you mean, John? Well, the story of Jesus is about his miracles, yes, but I think it's something more. The story of Jesus is about his teaching, yes, but I think there's something more. You see, I don't think he wanted the story just to be about who Jesus was on the earth, Because when Jesus was here on the earth, he said over and over again, Come, follow me. Come, follow me. If you want your life to matter, if you want there to be meaning and purpose in your life, if you want to be a part of a story where you get to live life at its absolute possible best, come and follow me. And if you follow me, you're going to discover your part in the story. You're going to discover that you have purpose and you have meaning. And there's hope no matter what you're facing in your story today. You're going to discover that your life is to be more about just going through the routine. That God has created you for a unique purpose. That no one else on this planet who's ever lived can be accomplished by anyone but you. And he has a plan and a way for you to do that. And it begins with a relationship with Jesus. 
You see, everybody thought this was going to die off. Everybody thought, oh, it's just going to end. A a little bit later in the book of Acts, which follows the story of Jesus, some of Jesus' followers, they heal a guy, and and they bring these guys, the disciples, they bring them in before Caiaphas, the high priest, and he's like, what are we going to do with them? And Caiaphas is like, ah, we've seen this before. There's one one every month. There's a new Messiah every month, and he gets a few people to follow him, and then it just dies out, and he fizzles, and he's gone. You know, it's a little like election, the election cycle, right? 20, 30, 40, 50 people running for president. And what happens after a few months? Oh, that one's gone. Oh, that one's gone. Oh, that one's gone. Oh, that one's gone. Same thing with the Messiah. There's always a new Messiah every month. Caiaphas said, oh, it's gonna, it'll, it'll, it'll just disappear. Well, we'll know if it's real, if it disappears or not. Guess what? It didn't stop. Never disappeared. And the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. That's what Paul said. Paul said the resurrection changes everything. Paul says if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, pack your bags, leave the church, abandon your faith, go home. It's pointless. There's no point. He's just like everybody else, just like every other Messiah, just like every other leader of every other religious group that's ever existed. They're in the ground and they're dead. They are not alive today. And because he is alive, He says the story is not over. The story is not over. And he's inviting you to enter in to this story. And he's inviting you to discover your part in his story. He says that in Revelation chapter 3. He says this, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You see, that's why I don't think the story ended. Because Jesus wanted to extend an invitation to every man, every woman, every student, every child that ever lives, that ever breathes life on this planet to be a part of this story. It's not an invitation to dress in odd clothes not an invitation to join a militia or change your political party. It's all about beginning a relationship with Jesus. You see, when you do this, you discover that God invites his spirit to become part of your life. And he makes these promises to you. He says, I will always be with you and I will meet your needs and you will never be alone. And no matter what you're facing, no matter how hard life is, no matter what comes at you, no matter how difficult the struggle in the present or processing the past, He will walk with you through it. Because you have a relationship with Him. He says, I'm standing at the door, if you will. Imagine the door of your heart. He says, I'm standing there. And I'm knocking on this door. I'm waiting. I'm not going to force my way in. I'm not going to ram my way in. I'm waiting. Because you have to open the door. And you have to invite me in. And if you open the door and invite me in, I want to sit down with you. And I want to have a meal with you. I don't want to begin a relationship with you. You see, that's what Jesus offers to you today. And that's why I believe The story stops so abruptly because he wants to invite you to be a part of that story. I say, John, sounds like a great invitation, but I'm not ready to buy into that one yet. I kind of hear what you're saying and that 
Jesus is alive. Yep, I believe that. I know all about that. Heard it since I was a little kid. Hear it every Easter. You know, I kind of know that's not the, about the Easter bunny. It's about Jesus. I kind of get that, you know. But I, I'm not ready to kind of buy into the whole thing yet. And I get that. And honestly, so does he. He's okay with skeptics. He's okay with people with questions. He says, bring all your questions. Bring them all. And so are we. We love questions. We want you to come with your questions. We want you to come on Tuesday night, like Roddy said, and, and come and bring your questions and say, what about this? And what about this? And can you explain this? And how does this work? And we believe he'll show up. And he'll answer all those questions. But maybe for you today is the day where you can put a stake in the ground. Maybe today is the day where you say, you know, John, it's all kind of making sense to me. I kind of thought faith was just about being a good person and, and doing good things and, and that God would look down and smile favorably on them. But you're saying something different. You're saying that when Jesus died on the cross, when he gave up his life, it wasn't just about a historical event. It was about something he did for me. And I need Jesus. And I want to begin a relationship with him today. And so maybe today is a day where it all kind of clicks in your mind and your heart is willing, and you say, today I want to put a stake in the ground and say, I don't fully understand it. I don't fully get it. But I've been trying to make life work on my own. I've been trying to run my show. I've been trying to be the captain of my own ship, and it is not working well. And I am like a ship without, I have no direction. I have no purpose. And I want that in my life. And if he's offering it, you know what? I'm in. I'm in. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? And as we do, I just want to invite you to be honest with God and tell him what's going on in your heart right now. Just tell him your story. He already knows it. Um, if you're a skeptic and you've got tons of questions, tell him. He's good with it. He'll wait. He's not leaving that door anytime soon. He's waiting. And if today's the day where you want to put a stake in the ground, you say, you know, today's the day when I want to follow Jesus. Today's the day when it all makes sense to me. It's not about my goodness, about my good deeds, about trying to be a nice person. It's about what Jesus did for me, what I could not do on my own, ever. It's about what he did for me. And today, Easter Sunday, 2019, I'm following him. And maybe today you've made that step. You've put that stake in the ground. And you're following Jesus. And, and, and today your heart is just filled with joy. Your heart is just overwhelmed with gratitude. Your heart is just at a place of saying, God, I, I cannot thank you enough for what Jesus did for me. And the fact that he is alive today, it gives me hope in every struggle I'm facing, every challenging I'm navigating, because whatever Jesus says, he always, always comes through. God, you know each of our hearts. You know the story of every person in this room today. You know where they've been. You know what they've been through. And you know where their heart is right now. And my prayer is as they consider this invitation to, to open that door and come 
to sit down at a table with you that for those that are ready, that they would say yes. For those that were not sure, they would say, I'll, I'll keep looking and asking. And for those that have, that they would celebrate. Thank you, Father, for this invitation to come to the table and begin a relationship with Jesus. Amen. Hear the voice of love that's calling. There's a chair that waits for you And a friend who understands Everything you're going through But you keep standing at a distance The shadows of your shame, but there's a light of hope that's shining. Won't you come and take your place? So bring it all to the table. It's nothing he ain't seen before. All your sin, all your sorrow, and your sadness, there's a Savior and He calls, bring it all to the table. He can see the weight you carry, and the fears that hold your heart. But through it all, you've been forgiven. You're accepted as you are. So bring it all to the table. So nothing he ain't seen before. For all your trials, all your worries, and your burdens. Savior and He calls, bring it all to the table. 
nothing he ain't seen before. For all your sin, all your sorrow, and your sadness, there's a Savior and he calls, bring it all to the table. Father, I thank you so much that we have a Savior who gave his life for us, that you sent your son to die for us so we can, he can come to the table and we invite him in into our lives and have that relationship, personal relationship with him. Help us to continue singing out these truths in our hearts, not just to acknowledge them, but to live them. Thank you so much for all this time again. Will you stand with us and sing this morning? was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now the Savior knelt to wash our feet now at his feet we bow the one who wore our sin in majesty the radiance of perfect love now shines for all to see your name your name is victory all praise will Fear that held us now gives way to him who is our peace. His final breath upon the cross is now alive in me.
by your spirit I will arise from the ashes of the the resurrected King is resurrecting me in your name I come alive to declare your victory
Amen. Our God is alive. <laughs> thank you, God, for this precious time together. Help us to continue to glorify you through what we play this morning. Let's sing. Thank you.